Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, this is Steve. I just want to let you know that for all the latest on our podcast, uh, hit us up at EILF Movies. That's everything I learned from movies on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we're also on Patreon if you want to check that out. But our homepage is with the Age of Radio Network at ageofradio.org slash everything I learned from movies. And if you're looking for some amazing art, check out my wife's Etsy page at untidyvenus.etsy.com. All kinds of great stuff there. Also, follow us at PodCartFest, that's P-O-D-C-A-R-T-F-E-S-T, for our periodic art and podcasting festival that we're going to be hosting. It's, uh, it's actually pretty cool. Check it out. So yeah, on that note, let's get to the show. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Stephen Anthony DeLongis has been a professional actor, stage actor, action actor, sword master, whip master, fight coordinator, weapons expert, and voice artist for 48 years and counting in film, television, stage, voice, motion capture, and opera. He has created and performed memorable roles in action in 13 countries on five different continents, such as starring as Blade in Masters of the Universe, Ketchum in Roadhouse, uh, the first Mage Cole in Star Trek Voyager, and teaching Michelle Pfeiffer how to handle a whip in Batman Returns, among countless other incredible feats, including being inducted into the Ultimate Warriors Hall of Fame earlier this year. Mr. Delongis was kind enough to join us on everything I learned from movies. I see you, I don't see me. What do I need to do? Oh, uh, I think there's like a little camera, like, uh, was it the bottom left here? Yeah, bottom left. Uh, oh, right start video. So start video. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Ooh-ha. <laughs> Excellent. There, is that, does that look moody? Oh, yeah, very nice. Very, <laughs> very dramatic. <laughs> very noir, I'd say. <laughs> How are you doing today, Mr. Delonges? I'm very big on noir. I like noir. <laughs> <laughs> My life is noir. Or it could be. Oh, hello. Uh, uh, is that fan irritating? Is somebody going to have a, a seizure? If uh, No, I, I feel like it was adding to the Get atmosphere. to the chopper. <laughs> Look out. Get down. If the camera was shooting through it. We're, we're not going to be oh, recording the video, okay. just the audio. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just audio. Thing, oh. So, yeah, yeah. No worries. Oh, Keep your phone. Okay, so... So pants are optional. Is that what you're saying? Oh, have, oh pants are you, you think we're pants are optional? <laughs> There's a reason the cameras, you know, chest up. You know? Don't don't show me. Some things should remain a mystery. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, Mr. Dolan, just thank you so much for joining us. A huge fan of all your work uh, over the years. Well, thank you. I, I mean, since, you since must be Izzy. Oh, I'm yes. Izzy, yes. Izzy, I'm Steve. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will let you. I will let you finish praising me. Go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> As you were. <laughs> you know. Uh, let's see. Martial artist, swords master, stuntsman, actor, 
uh, trainer of celebrities all around, just everything over the last, gosh, 40, 40 plus years. Are, are we? Yes, it is. Are we recording now? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm recording. Have we yeah. started? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So we, um, there seems to be a slight delay. My uh, thing said your internet connection is unstable, but are we okay? Now, if you lose this, top of a mountain, you know, uh, well, actually right by planet Vulcan and where Kirk battled the Gorn, you know, <laughs> yes, two hills over from there. So it's pretty nice. And you'd think being closer to the satellite would help, but... Well, it's Verizon, so <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, sure. we also go through Verizon on a mountain here in Utah. So yeah, if we come oh, through, oh, okay. like, that's probably cool. Why. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, if, if you'd like to just uh, right. start off, uh, you know, telling us like where you grew up, how you uh, got into the industry, if you want mind. And Steve can edit it so that the delay isn't a problem. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's it's kind of funny because somebody else. Uh, interviewed me a couple of weeks ago from Bristol and they had all these questions that, you know, they had sent me ahead of time, which was nice. Um, but uh, basically I said, I'm going to tell you all that information. You know, you, we're, we're giving fuel to hackers. You know, where did you go to high school? What was your first dog's, uh, you know, name? Uh, I'm kind of going, Hmm. I mean, I don't like to think that way, but yeah, you never know. Anyway, um go ahead and ask and i will do my best to answer yeah absolutely yeah just uh i guess give us a glimpse of your early life like kind of what your family life was like how you got into martial arts and movie industry it's kind of a general overview inspirations okay yeah. you say inspirations aspirations or sure. <laughs> just, uh, okay. never mind i can say i'll try not to what is it when you uh my wife has the PhD in cellular biology. She knows all this. It's um, we lost a lot of rock and rollers that way. It's basically vomiting into your mask, you know. And I, uh, I know it sounds disgusting, but that's how my mind works. You know, you, uh, I freely associate with whatever comes my way. Never mind. Uh, all right, so I'm going to give you my full attention now. Here we go. Right. All right. Whenever you're ready. Yeah, yeah, just like the. I've been running all day, and then I had to sit down and get a couple of things. Uh, you know, sp spent too long on the computer, but I had all oh, business to do. I um, had an interesting challenge yesterday. I was working with a young fellow who's blind, and uh, they'd wanted him to be able to do some archery. And I said, "Well, not only can we do archery, I can bring along tomahawks, and we could do that. And I can also teach him to crack a whip." Alas, we only had time to do one of those things, but it was uh, it was a nice challenge. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Well, I guess to start off, yeah, do you want to tell us about uh, the, the ranch you have out there? Sure. Uh, when my wife and I were in uh, Spain in 2000, um, you know, it had been, well, <laughs> it had... Um, it had been my dream to ride horses as a boy, and um, it took a very long time for that to come about. Um, I started, uh, well, I, I grew up in London, Ontario. I was born here, but um, my mother remarried a very nice Canadian man and uh, went up there, and I went all the way through public and high school. Um, actually, I just got a letter about a coach who had been kind of instrumental in my life who just passed. Um, 
alas, as uh, you know, we all must do. Um, but uh, I just sent off a little bit of thanks and condolences and, you know, uh, letting his wife know what an inspiration he'd been to me when I was, you know, 15 to 17 and trying to make some changes, um, you know, in my body, mind and spirit. And um, he, he was a nice influence on that. But uh, I was accepted at both um, Cal State Northridge and then UCLA. Uh, I thought the smaller school, I'd be more comfortable. Um, interestingly enough, a few years later, after I graduated from uh, CSUN, that's California State University at Northridge, I ended up teaching in the theater arts department at UCLA for 19 years. So I think I got the best of both worlds, which was nice. Yeah. But um, I started uh, I started in Shakespeare at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego in 1973. And um, it was down there in the journeyman program, but um, we're doing three plays in repertory. You rehearse two and open them and run them in repertory and rehearse the third and open it. And a part opened up in the third, uh, third play, actually, uh, I owe my thanks to Mark Singer, who you may remember from um, Beastmaster. Beastmaster yeah. <laughs> um, he was supposed to play Edgar in King Lear, and he pulled out of that. Um, and he declined, and I'm grateful he did because they read the company and I got to play Edgar in King Lear. And the people from the Amundsen came down and saw me in performance and asked me to uh, audition for uh, Cyrano with Richard Chamberlain the following year. And um, not only did I do not only did I do that, uh, but I ended up doing the choreography. That was my first big piece of choreography because they'd seen my show on the Green Show. I was starting to uh, choreograph, so that's about where it all started. About 1973, in '74, I was offered the uh, role of Valvera and the opportunity to uh, choreograph Cyrano and the Duel in Rhyme, which. Um, you know, is uh, very challenging. If that if that doesn't work, then the rest of the play doesn't work. Uh, and uh, so I was uh, I worked very hard at some of it. It was certainly my best work to date, and it's one of my favorite memories. Uh, Richard worked very very hard, and uh, we had a great time together. We did. We had eleven weeks. He had one bobble in the second preview, and then after that, he uh, you know we we were perfect every night. Really. We buckled our swash and uh, it was fun. And um, I was offered my equity card or a, a full scholarship to um, ACT, American Conservatory Theater. I chose the equity card. Uh, I visited uh, some friends who were studying at ACT afterwards. And I went, you know, I made the right decision because um, a conservative, conservatory program is wonderful, but I had already had a considerable amount of, um, you know, experience as both a performer and then also uh you know you uh, the workshops and things that you take in order to um, you know, add to your skill set and uh, you know uh, learn your craft uh, so anyway and that's that's where it started 74 75 i joined sag uh started doing very slowly at first uh, film and television and continued in 75 i also did uh, macbeth again at the amundsen theater um, this time with Charlton Heston and Vanessa Redgrave, which, uh, oh God, John, John, uh, John McIntyre, uh, Peter Wood directed, who was one of the more famous of Peter Brook, Peter Wood. And there was a third one, um, who were very famous directors from England at the time. So that was quite the, um, quite the learning experience and quite, uh, the adventure. And, um, by then I started to have a parallel career as a performer uh, in front of the camera 
And then as a fight coordinator and, you know, action director behind the camera, I did a lot of work for um, the Mark Paper Forum, which is down at the Music Center and you know, those productions at the Amundsen. And I uh, actually ended up choreographing uh, action for um, Los Angeles Music Center Opera from 1985 to 2005. Uh, that was an adventure. Um, I was working with world-class voices uh, and it's an exposure to music I wouldn't have been exposed to if I hadn't done that. And I'm, you know, very happy. Um, I had, I played Iago in Othello twice and on my second time, um, one of my acting teachers said, you should uh, take a look at the opera um, because um, I'm trying to think who the heck it was who wrote it. it. Slips my mind at the moment. But he goes into more detail than Shakespeare ever did about, um, you know, why Iago does what he does. And, uh, and it was, it was a nice inspiration for my second pass at one of my favorite roles. Um, so uh, I was working, um, you know, in front of the camera and then I was working behind the camera, you know, uh, helping people uh, maximize their character opportunities for um, story driven action, because uh, that to me is, um, I think uh, I excel as a choreographer or a fight coordinator, uh, because I always tell a story because I come from a stage back. So yeah, with the fight choreography, uh, did you grow up uh, like learning martial arts and sword play and whip mastery and all that? Was that something you had going in? No, no I, I, I had no physicality at all. I was terrible. Um, I did my first play in the 10th grade. Uh, I, I said, oh, well, that might be fun. Uh, they're doing a play, a play called Tea House of the August Moon. So I uh, went out. I thought, oh, I can be a villager. You know, I ended up getting the lead in the play. His name is Sakini. Um, he's the interpreter and the narrator of the whole thing and the glue that holds it together. It was um, it was played by Marlon Brando in the picture in the film with uh, Glenn Ford, uh, Marlon. Marlon, well, he would never play that role today, that's for sure, um, even if he was alive. Um, but um, he, he was somewhat miscast, but it was at the height of his popularity with, uh, oh, on the waterfront and, um, you know, Stella, Streetcar Named Desire. I've, I've played Stanley. That was fun. Um, and uh, what else? Guys and Dolls, you know, and then he did T-House, The August Man. Anyway, that was my first play, and that was, that was where I got bitten by the, uh, the acting bug. Because um, it was both the hardest and the easiest thing I've ever done. And that's how I view the work. It still is. It's both the easiest and the hardest thing. And throughout my career, which is 48 years and counting now, um, when I needed it most, because almost everybody else I know, uh, you know, they had to give up one reason or another uh, due to lack of opportunities or... Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, having to pay the bills or, you know, <laughs> yeah. having responsibilities. And uh, so, yeah, it, um, the fortune and glory and, uh, you know, getting rich, uh, you know, happens to very, very few people. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, maybe a one percentile. And that's if you're very fortunate to get the opportunity to show what you can do. That's the challenge. Um, I find that um, longevity in show business um secret of my success is diversity i'm always adding to my skill set um i train every day um i train and i teach and i share knowledge um well, pretty much every day and um 
this gives me an opportunity to, I can come in as an actor in front of the camera. I, uh, I do uh, as much voice work as I can. I very much enjoy that. And I'm thankful for my theater background because they have, I have the instrument to do everything from shooter games to, uh, you know, Disney, uh, Disney books for kids and everything in between. I did, uh, oh, uh, Red Dead Redemption. That was Marshall Lee Johnson, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, that, that's, a, that's a performance capture. So you're wearing bad orthodontia with lights in your eyes the whole time. And, uh, you know, leotards with uh, little shiny buttons on them, ping pong balls, kind of. But they are capturing your performance. So, you know, it was, uh, I love John Ford and uh, Howard Hawks and uh, Sergio Leone, of course, breathed new new life into the genre in the uh, 60s and 70s. So I've, I've always loved Westerns. Remind me of that and I'll tell you how we, our ranch got its name. Yeah, so all of those things. But you'd ask, no, I didn't grow up doing this. Uh, I was not very physical. Um, my eyesight wasn't good enough to uh, uh, to play ball, and I got braces. And my folks said, you know, no hockey for you, and no basketball, and this and that. And, uh, and then I started doing theater. I, I ended up doing wrestling um, my my senior year because I started lifting weights and I got strong, but I didn't know anything. And I got to college and. Um, Oh, uh, I thought, well, I'll go out for, I want to do gymnastics, but I'll go out for the wrestling team just to this and that. And uh, in an early practice, uh, some senior pinned my leg and body slammed me and he dislocated my hip, and uh, which I thought was kind of, um, how shall I put this, uh, bad, bad form, old boy. <laughs> uh, um, you know, that uh, I kind of thought, you know, you're, you're supposed to be teaching us young ones. You're not supposed to be using us as a punching bag. But I was told that I would always be a cripple and walk with a limp and this and that. And I said, you don't tell me, I tell you. <laughs> and um, so what I uh, was able to do was um, I, I did uh, fencing. Uh, it was fencing or rowing. And the same thing happened. My first great teacher was Maestro Ralph Faulkner, who of uh, Falcon Studios. He was a two-time Olympian and he was sword master to the stars back in the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, he did the original Prisoner of Zenda, and he did, uh, well, he's well known for The Court Jester and many other uh, films in between. And he was extremely generous uh, and taught me a lot. Um, so I trained with him for the better part of, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years. Uh, and then I went on to Taekwondo. Uh, oh, he had had the, he'd had an accident um, early in his career and had his knee uh, dislocated. They told him you can either do rowing or you can do fencing. And he thought rowing was um, like watching paint dry. So he, he started fencing and ended up uh, representing the United States twice. Um, I kind of followed in his footsteps and his inspiration. Um, then I went to Taekwondo and did that up to a red belt level and kind of went, eh, I'm never going to be really good at this. And then I heard about Dan Inosanto, who was, um, uh, he was one of Bruce Lee's top students and the keeper of the flame for Jeet Kune Do. And I trained with him for over a decade. And now I've been training with uh, Kaiso Toshishiro Obata. Oh, yes. Uh, well, and uh, his daughter, Diana Lee Inosanto, um, Bruce Lee was, was her godfather. And uh, her husband, Ron Balicki, is another world-class martial artist. Um, but I, I was just honored with, um, I'm in the Black Belt Hall of Fame as Weapons Instructor of the Year. I'm in the International Knife Throwers Hall of Fame and the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. 
uh, in February, I was inducted into the Ultimate Warriors Hall of Fame by Al DeCoscos and uh, Grandmaster Al DeCoscos and Grandmaster Ron Van Cleef. Uh, Al DeCoscos is the father of Mark DeCoscos, who you yeah. may, may know is a very, very talented man. Um, he was my young Conan when I took over the Conan show at Universal Studios. And I retrained everybody. Of course, his skills were terrific. I had some very talented people there. And I had him for about six months, and then he, uh, his, you know, his uh, film career took off, and off he went. Um, but I had met his father briefly on the, um, oh, the parapets of a 16th century castle in Spain. It was my first time in Spain. Um, and the three of us were posed, you know, uh, Joe Lewis, this was his, you know, film debut, Jaguar Lives. And I was playing the bad guy, his best friend, who turns out to be the bad guy. And uh, Al Dacascos and I are all in a martial arts pose, you know, here. You know, I thought as I was training Mark, I went to Costco's uh, and I looked in my, you know, my memoirs and uh, brought a picture into, uh, you know, rehearsal one night. And he says, oh, I had that picture on the wall when I was growing up. <laughs> so when his father invited me uh, to be a part of the Ultimate Warriors Hall of Fame, that was a great honor. And uh, they're supposed to be inducting me into the Kenpo Karate Hall of Fame in June. And then I'll be teaching master classes at Combat Con in July. So, But you'd asked about our ranch. Our ranch is called Rancho Andalo. And this is where I have my school. Um, people come from all over the country, all over the world to train with me here. It's DPACA, D-P-A-C-A, which is Delonge's Performance and Combat Arts. Because um, everything I teach and when I choreograph, I always try to come from a martial truth. Um, and fortunately, I've been studying for 50 years. So the more things you study, the more, um, well, Bruce Lee used to, say, used to say, no one has a monopoly on the truth, you know, and absorb what's useful. And that each art informs other arts. And there's weapon-specific adjustments that maximize, you know, the effectiveness of each particular tool or reference of culture, but there are foundational principles and structures that connect all of the arts. And it was, you know, thanks to my work with um, Maestro Faulkner, who taught me sword, and then with uh, Guru Dan Asanto, who taught me Filipino martial arts, and what at the time seemed like a very complicated footwork, I've since come to realize there's eight angles of attack in every bladed weapon. There's verticals, downward and upward. There's horizontals, forehand and back. There's descending diagonals and ascending diagonals. And you can cut a reverse on those lines and you can thrust on those lines. You could say there's 360, but let's say that there's eight. Um, and that's true of every martial arts system in the world, uh, especially bladed weapons. And then, um, footwork you have linear forward and back and that's what everybody thinks european fencing is because all they've seen now is modern olympic sport fencing which is linear because you're on a piste you know you're essentially on um you're on a rug uh you know going forward and back and that's nice but attacks can come at you and you can thwart other attacks by going off off angle when i did um my second guest starring role on Highlander, the series was an episode called Duende. Uh, it was written by my friend Gillian Horvath and uh, David Abramowitz, who's the showrunner on the show. And uh, I had been in season three, I'd done a one called Blackmail. Um, had a great time, did a, I think I did a very good job uh, 
apparently Adrian Paul, the series lead, had call, called up and said, we have to kill this guy. He's really good. But I said, no, he has to die. So, um, you know, I did. And then I spent the next year trying to get back on the show. And finally they said, you know, you were so distinctive, you know, and you made such an impression. I says, I'm an actor. I can be different. So they gave me the challenge of if I could come up with a backstory they hadn't done already, then um, I could get back on the show. So I went in and I pitched them. I had like five ideas. And, the, and by then they were just entering season five. So they had almost 100 hours of, uh, of stories that they had told. And I'm waiting to see if our internet, there it goes stable again. And I said, well, how about, and they went, no, we did that in season three. Well, how about, ah, that's kind of like we did that in season two. Well, oh, that was season four. And I went, how about the debt that can never be repaid? And, oh, they liked that idea. So it was, um, not only was it a wonderful adventure, but I had had the opportunity to, uh, Robert Rodriguez was supposed to direct Zorro with Antonio Banderas. And I went in and I presented to him, you know, the uh, fighting in the Spanish circle, which is the mysterious circle, which has never been seen on film before. And um, alas, three weeks later, or three days later, he left the project and Martin Campbell came in and Martin Campbell brought in Bob Anderson. What are you going to do? It's Bob Anderson, you know, um, Star Wars. And, you know, he, he dates back to uh, Errol Flynn. He actually stabbed Errol Flynn once. That's one of his claims to fame. He was very complimentary on one of my instructional DVDs. He said, this is the best one of these I've ever seen. And we were making plans to do one together when, alas, he passed. Uh, so that I missed out on that opportunity. So after not getting the Zorro job, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from Highlander saying, you want to go to Paris and um, you know guest star in this episode we wrote for you. And I got to work with my great friend, uh, F. Braun McCash, who was the sword, choreog the sword choreographer for the show. And we created what many think is the best fight in the almost seven years of the show. Yeah, that's the and it was brain, the first right? time that the, it had ever been on film. Daggers and yep. everything. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I, we chose that location because the Eiffel Tower is in the background. You just can't see it because it's pissing down rain the whole time. Um, so that was that was kind of funny. So you kind of you know you you never know where things are going to lead you. Um, I'm I'm happy to say, uh, well, and you know. Go ahead and ask a question. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. Oh, no. I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just uh, telling us exactly what we want to hear without asking. Oh, where's that on the... Say, you see this cup? This cup has a gladiator on it. We got that when we were in France. And we were at the, uh, you know, the little Rome of the North. You know, the uh, the it's the Colosseum in, in what was then Gaul and the Roman Empire. But... Uh, Let's see. Um, then I, oh, I started to say it was working with, uh, uh, I told you there's eight angles of attack. There's also eight angles of footwork. There's forward and back and there's side to side. Uh, so there's linear and there's lateral and then there's descending diagonals, which is essentially you make, you um, build a wall and then get behind it. Or there's ascending diagonals where you let the attack come and you just monitor it as it goes by. So there's eight angles of footwork plus circle. And that's all there is uh, in every system in the world. You know, and I sort of came to that realization some 30 years into my 50 year martial journey. And it's very helpful for me to present um, kind of an overview, you know, so that uh, people understand that, you know, if you understand, I'm, what I'm looking to do is simplify and distill 
information into easily digestible bites. And when people can picture this, they're a little less likely to uh, get lost in the minutia. You know, I tell people there's uh, one lifetime isn't enough to learn everything there is to know about any art, but the more arts you study, each will inform the other. And it's kind of funny because things that I learned in uh, Filipino martial arts with Gurdan and Asanto, I've since seen in German longsword, Talhofer, which I'm currently studying, which also occurs in Shinkendo, which is Japanese katana, uh, and especially double katana. Uh, Nitoken means two sword, uh, is very similar to Sinawali, which is two sticks or two blades in uh, Filipino martial arts, because as Bruce Lee said, we all have two arms and two legs, and until we grow another appendage, you know, there's only so many things you're going to be able to do. <laughs> but I try to, um, I'm a storyteller, you know, whether I'm creating the character myself in front of the camera or I'm offering somebody else, you know, another layer of performance. Um, and that's how I happened to work with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, they were... Uh, I was asked, do you, want to, do you want to teach Michelle Pfeiffer how to use a whip? I went, yes. And so I came in and presented to uh, Tim Burton and Michelle, who was, she was doing wardrobe tests at the time. And I said, well, we were, we were going to use a cat of nine tails. And I said, please don't, because uh, it's a punishment whip. It has a lot of baggage. And all you can really do is hit things. You know, it's not very, it's not terribly interesting. And I said, here's what I do with the whip. Because by then, um, I had taken what I'd learned from, um, uh, Maestro Faulkner with the blade and then learned with, uh, you know, from Gurudan and Asanto with uh, the footwork and the angulation. And I created my, my whip system, which is very unique. Most people uh, yank and slash and they're focused on making a big noise. Well, the whip's the first man-made tool to break the sound barrier. It dates to 3000 BC in both the Chinese and Egyptian cultures that we know of. Um, any boob can make a big noise with a whip. I'm going, boy, you're setting the, the bar way too low. And most people, um, the whip has a shape to it like this. Most people push energy uphill before it can run downhill, which requires a lot of muscle. And what I do is if I turn my hand over, I form an alignment loop. So now the whip is aligned with itself. So I roll and stab. And if you've seen my... Um, well, I'm kind of all over YouTube, but if you've seen my uh, Whipmaster video, um, you can see I, I cut the wick out from under a candle flame. Um, you know, I cut all kinds of you know, different targets and explode glass. And my partner holds a wine glass and I just shear through it because of the velocity. The tip of the whip goes 768 miles per hour, which it'll cut you like a knife. Yeah, because of the velocity, uh, we used to, when, when I first met my wife, we were, we pulled her into a live show we had where <laughs> we would uh, come in and get, come in at the gallop with my, my, my Australian friend, his great uncle Jack rode in the charge of Beersheba. So we were the light horsemen and we'd come in cracking whips and uh, she would hold flowers out and we'd ride by and cut the flowers. And then uh, she would hold out lances and we'd ride by and grab them and turn around and then skewer you know, platters, you know, out of her hand is all handheld. And then um, we would have a duel, you know, saber duel, and I would win. And then Mary and I would do a, a synchronized bullwhip tango. And that was the, the conclusion of our show. Uh, one day, um, my, you know, my, my very good friend, Colin, who 
I rode with his horses for 10 years. That made my dream possible. And um, his horse shied right as he was on his way down. I'd already ridden by and cut the flower. And I didn't know she'd been hit. So we finished the whole show. And at the end, we're bowing. It was a really good show. And I said, oh, I thought the show really went well. And I said, I got to go see the medic. And I what? And she showed me her hand. And she was cut through to the bone. I could see the bone in the, in the uh, tendon. I didn't hit her. I know better than that. But um, it was, you know, it was an accident. And she, she went and uh, the guy said, well, if I stitch this up, you're going to have a scar. And she says, well, stitch it up because I got more shows to do. And I'm, I'm, com I'm competing in cowboy action shooting tomorrow. <laughs> so uh, it makes for a very good story. But it, um, yeah, the, the, the whip is very dangerous. So I, I created a system that's more, more efficient, more effortless, more accurate, more aesthetic looking. Because you, we get to see it roll out, and you see, you, you see the whip working instead of just throwing the tip and making a big noise and yanking it backwards. So, thanks to the things I studied, I was create, able to create something new out of a tool that's five thousand years old. It's one of the things I'm proudest of. My Delongis rolling loop system is well. My 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 buddy Scott McElroy used it in uh, Underworld where you know he's um he's a vampire and he's fighting the lichen with double whips you know some friends yeah, said yeah. there's a guy who's using your whip system you know in this movie it says oh and i looked at oh that's scott yeah i taught him that yeah so like anyway, I said, this is what i do Stowe and ellen barkin mm -hmm. like you've taught uh taught a lot of, ellen lot of barkin, actors. Yeah. oh yeah the, well the yeah i've, I've had the, the opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah I, I taught the whip fighters in the rundown i did well, I had taught Alan Barkin for Calamity Jane, um, Angelica Houston as well, but there were two different things. One was uh, Buffalo Girls, that was Angelica, and then uh, Wild Bill, which is a Walter Hill Western uh, with um, Jeff uh, Bridges Jeff as Bridges, Wild yeah. Bill Hickok. And uh, I taught her, she took a cigar out of my, I had a cigar here like this, she took it out of my hand. Um, <laughs> that was, I was, I was very proud of her. I just last September uh, got to reunite with Walter. Um, they, he's doing a new Western with uh, Christoph Waltz, and I believe uh, Willem Dafoe was in it. It's called Dead for a Dollar. And they had me come in. I had very little time, which almost always happens. I haven't really had any time since I got to work with Michelle. But um, I put together some pretty cool whip action for that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But back to where I got into this in the first place was when I presented to Michelle and you know, she, yeah, I want to do that. And she worked really hard. Um, all of the whip work in Batman Returns is Michelle. None, none of the professional stunt girls got anywhere near her ability with the whip because she saw I was offering her another layer of performance, another tool you know, for her to articulate her character. And you actually see her working the whip. It's all practical. There's, you know, there's not, there's not any special effects. There's no CGI or anything like that. And uh, so her credibility is priceless. And this is what I try to persuade, you know, directors and producers to do is like, give me a chance to, you know, prepare your actor to give them a vocabulary and then we can come in with Michelle. We literally created things on the set. You know, we, we would walk in and look and go, okay, that's a problem. So we're going to do this. And then, okay, uh, can you move that light six inches? You know, and then Michelle can focus on her performance. And um, 
we would turn adversity into opportunity. The whole Ice Princess uh, segment wasn't in the script. Um, you know, I showed up to set because Michelle said, if I'm on set, I want him on set. Because once, very early on, I wasn't. And she had a problem, which I could have easily fixed because, you know, she has a job to do. I'm, yeah. I'm the one looking out, you know, making sure she can focus on her performance. So I really want her trust. And we had this wonderful, you know, dialogue where I could offer her ideas. You know, it wasn't inappropriate because she knew I had, you know, I understood what she was trying to do with her character. And, you know, I had, you know, doing everything I could to help her. And um, so they had the thing where the girl's tied in the chair. She's been kidnapped you know, by Penguin. And, um, you know, Batman shows up. And then all of a sudden Catwoman is there and she dumps the girl and throws the chair at Batman. And you know, grabs the girl and says, girl talk, and it's going to leave. And, you know, Tim Burton said, I don't think there's any whip work here today, Anthony. I said, yes, sir. So I went and watched in the corner. And after they did the rehearsal, I went, I went over to Michelle. I said, you know, a chair in one hand and a whip in the other says lion tamer the world over, no matter what language you speak. Michelle goes, Tim, Anthony has this idea. So, so she ended up swinging in on her whip, cutting the girl free, dumping her out, cracking the whip, throwing the chair, wrapping the whip around the girl who's trying to get away, pulling her in for a two shot. She says, girl talk. And they leave. We rehearsed it twice and shot it and we were done. And that's what you can do if, you know, you have somebody who embraces the challenge to develop their skills. And then, you know, you get the opportunity, you know, to, uh, you know, with Harrison, I was looking, you know, alas, um, I prepared him to come back after 19 years. He actually called me up at home. He'd, he'd seen my reel, which I busted my ass to get into producers. And I get this phone call one day that says, this is Anthony DeLongis. You know, where have I heard this voice? This is Harrison Ford. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Ford, what can I do for you? Well, we best we got to get you in here, you know, to knock the dust off of my, my whip skills. Said, uh, okay. So I, uh, and I met him. The first thing he said, well, you're an amazing swordsman. Like, oh, thank, thank you very much. Um, so I got to prep him. Um, but alas, I, uh, because he hired me, I kind of stepped on a couple of uh, toes and the coordinator got rid of me as soon as he could. So, you know, there's politics in this business. Um, so I didn't, my favorite, uh, I, I, one of my favorite collaborations creatively is working with Michelle because I got to be there for her all the time and offer her ideas and perspective, you know, that when you're, when you're busy performing, you're really overloaded and, you know, you shouldn't have to do everything by yourself. Um, as it was, Harrison ended up doing all his own whip work because there wasn't anybody else. They brought in one guy for one day. Uh, he's a nice, he's, he's a good guy. He's, um, he's, he, he has credit, <laughs> even though he had one day, he didn't have any of his own whips and he's left-handed. Um, I do both hands because I'm always, uh, you know, I have the nightmare that sometime I'm going to have to double somebody who's left-handed and go, all right, <laughs> I can. Um, but anyway, it, uh, so I didn't, I didn't get to go along and be there and help him, um, uh, look at opportunities. They were, it, it was a very odd set because they were, um, 
they were so secretive. Uh, they actually, before filming started, pulled everybody together. They made everybody stop on every job uh, at every location and every you know facility they were doing stuff, called us all into a soundstage and then threatened us if we were to reveal anything. You know, they had the, um, the police, you know, the, oh, the set police, you know, no cell phones and anybody caught doing this or that. And they were telling us they were in the, they were in the middle of suing um, somebody for stealing a Star Wars sound effect, you know, and, uh, and it was just kind of like, really? You called us in for this? You made everybody stop for this? And <clears throat> they, uh, they had, nobody got to read the script um, except the department heads. And they were so focused on making everything be the same 19 years later. And I kept trying to go, you know, it's 19 years later. We've already seen him do all of this stuff. Uh, and even Harrison says, yeah, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I'm not Tarzan. You know, it's not like this. When he first swung on the whip, it was because he had no choice. But then it started to become a convenience. And then everything is shot in. Uh, there is one shot before Crystal Skull where you see him throw the whip start to finish. Because the real money shot with the whip is like with Michelle. It's her whole body and she cracks the heads off all those mannequins. Or, you know, she does that and she she wraps Batman around the arm as he's falling over the, the roof. She really does that. When you do it in, you know, in Temple of Doom, it's in Temple of Doom where he takes a sword from one of the guys in the turbans. But even the thing at the end where he wraps, uh, you know, Kate around the waist and then pulls her in, you know, for the romantic thing. and that, that's one of the easiest things to do, certainly with my system. Uh, and it's, it's done in cuts. You know, it, um, I just, I was just working with somebody um, and said, your shot is either seeing me throwing the whip at him or over my shoulder, you know, focusing on him, but where you actually see the action. Because when you do things in cuts, your mind does the work for the storyteller but you don't get the credibility that you get when the audience sees the actor performing the action and goes, oh, okay, yeah. I, and there's, I mean, it's one of my favorite things about Harrison, I told him this, I said, um, you know, you're, he, he has a positive genius for bringing in every man quality to things to where in the audience you sit there and go, I could do this too, I could rise to the occasion, you know, and that's, that's no small thing. That doesn't come with a whole, well, another one of the things I do is um, I try to train to be able to do it for real with anything and everything. So if I'm riding by on a horse, you'll see on my whip reel, uh, I take targets out of somebody's hand as we pass at full gallop with a whip. A sword and a lance are easy. The whip is much more difficult because you have the safety of the horse to be concerned with. And my horses trust me. So, you know, I'm always the safety of my human or equine partners are always the top of my list. So I train to be able to really do that. And I throw knives. Um, so does my wife. She has a PhD in cellular biology, but now she throws whips. I'll hold targets for her. That's how good she is. She throws knives. I'll stand in front of a target and let her throw around me. That's how good she is. We try not to be, stay angry at each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it'd be dangerous. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I tell people, look, if you're going to do, and there have been several occasions where I've taught people to throw knives or throw tomahawks or whatever, and there have been times when I've thrown live on set around actors um, because I could do it safely. It's not, it's not, it's not being, um, 
I'm trying to say irresponsible or it's not being, oh, you know, I'm, it's not about ego. It's about, yes, I have the ability to do this and I know how to set it up so that it's safe for the actor. I did one on um, Justified where an actor's coming through a doorway and the target is right next to the door, like maybe 18 inches from his head. And I said, just don't come through the door. You know, if you never cross it, the width, if I were to miss, which I'm not going to, um, you know, the, I'm not going to bounce the knife and have it go around the target and through the doorway. That just won't happen. That's not physics. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we, we ended up doing that. It's, it, it's really cool. But I, you know, I tell people, let the audience see the actor do this somewhere. If he really throws the knife, then you can do all the camera tricks you want because you'll go, okay, yeah, I'll buy that because I've seen him do it. And so that's, that's my quest when, you know, I'm helping other people do something. I, I know how to prepare them. I know how to get them confident and, um, you know, have a, have a uh, professional level of excellence at whatever they're doing, which brings them the credibility, which is priceless. So that, that's, my, that's the other half of my career. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk so passionately about all the, the weapons work, the acting, uh, even going to like voice acting and stuff like that. Is there one you love above all? Like, would it be the stage acting or movie acting? Or uh, I love them all because it's all a challenge. Uh, I love stage. I guess I think I started playing a while ago. Every time I needed to be reassured, I would find a stage project that you know was worth my time. Um, it's very hard to make a living, especially in Los Angeles, on stage because um, they used to mount more productions, they mount fewer of them. And this is before the pandemic, of course. They also have a tendency to want to cast stars, not because they're necessarily the best, but because it sells tickets. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it, if I had to live just on my film acting you know, salary or just on television or just on theater, or just on, you know, coordinating fights for film, television, theater, opera, or teaching. Uh, any one of those, I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, sustain either a lifestyle or, you know, uh, or have the animals I have and have the quality of life that I have. It's the fact that I have trained myself to have a level of diversity that allows me to move from one thing to another. Um, depending on the need of the, and it's still, you know, you think after 48 years, um, finding a job wouldn't be so hard, but um, that never seems to change. Uh, but opportunities and challenges come my way and I, and I love the work. Um, it's still, I've, I still find it the easiest thing to do and the most difficult and challenging. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad balance. Um, you probably heard other actors talk about that uh, everybody has this imposter syndrome, uh, you know, or, or that, you know, I, I can't do this or that, you know, they're, and you should, you should feel, you should feel challenged, you should feel afraid. Uh, but uh, what I, what I think is important is that you use that fear, that anxiety to work harder and be better. You know, if you use it as a spur, it's valuable. If you use it as a wall, then it's an excuse to fail. And, you know, so that I use all this stuff as my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
accent. Well, you did mention the animals. I have to ask you, you mentioned the horses. What other animals do you have out there on the ranch? Well, I have three horses and two dogs. Um, I told you, well, it was my dream to ride horses as a boy. Yeah. I didn't have the wherewithal when I started my career. I couldn't afford it. And then I went, okay, I've developed all these weapon skills. I'd really like to do these on horseback. But, you know, um, my first uh, first time on screen on horseback was a picture called The Sword and the Sorcerer. And that was my last engine. You know, I think I was in my early 30s at the time. And uh, uh, they, at the end, they put me on a horse and I'm supposed to gallop <clears throat> up to uh, Lee Horsley and you know, the rest of his team are on this cliff at the edge of um, it's Palos Verdes, which is a peninsula, you know, down south. It's halfway to uh, San Diego. And it literally is a cliff. Um, and on either side is, you know, this is all developed because this is very valuable real estate. But Albert Pion, the director, they'd found this location, which had a vacant lot, which meant. Uh. So I'm riding, you know, and, and the horse breaks into a gallop. And I'm going, I sure hope this horse is going to stop because. He's not listening well, you know, to me, and I don't really know how to ride well enough to be able to persuade him that he should listen to me. So that was when I sort of went, I've really got to get better at this. And uh, again, it took a while for things to happen. And it was um, a fellow who ended up supplying whips for me. Uh, his name was Colin Dangard. Uh, he came to uh, L.A. as a, as a journalist. He, uh, at the time, he, uh, he used to run Rupert Murtaugh's newspapers in Hong Kong, and he was a very famous interviewer, and he did interviews with, like, uh, Richard Chamberlain, and not Richard Chamberlain, uh, Richard Burton, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor, and Robert Mitchum, and uh, Sinatra, and Muhammad Ali, and, you know, pretty much any big name. <clears throat> but he came, and uh, he went, there aren't any stock saddles in this country. Well, I see a need. So we decided to, uh, you know, create the uh, Australian Stock Saddle Company. And he uh, became a self-made millionaire at one point. Um, but I met, he was supplying me whips for uh, Batman Returns. Uh, and um, they were made by a fellow named Terry Jack, whose whips I used for about 25 years. And that, A, gave me access to really good whips, but also, you know, one day he invited me out to the ranch to go for a ride. And I was terrible. But he kept looking around. He says, ah, you got pretty good balance, you know. And he, he, I think he tried to kill me. But he, you know, I'd, I didn't have much of a seat. And I'd worn all the hair off my legs uh, and was starting on the skin. which was getting kind of chafy by the time we got back. And I said, I'd really love to, uh, you know, get some lessons or something with you. And he wasn't much interested in giving me any lessons. But I said, I'll teach you how to fight with a saber on horseback if you'll, <laughs> if you'll let me come ride your horses. So I rode his horses for about 10 years and we became very great friends. We've been, we've been riding together for over 30 years now, but thanks to him, uh, I developed the skills to be able to do, um, you know, swords and whips and lances and archery and live ammo. I fired live ammo uh, from horseback for uh, Gunny Lee Hermes Lock and Load, which is an interesting challenge. Uh, Gunny was, was a heck of a personality too. Gunny's the one who's in, uh, Full metal jacket, jacket yeah. you know, who essentially does uh, his profanity is on a Shakespearean level. Um, <laughs> I actually, uh, I actually got to do that. Another one of my voiceovers is a game called uh, Bullet Storm. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, I can't recall if I played. Do you guys drink adult beverage. beverages? Yes, oh, of course. How Utahian are you? Oh, uh, oh excellent. Uh, All right. Well, when we're, we're, we're done both, tonight, uh, when we're judges, done tonight, actually. 
<laughs> certified well yeah. certifiable well <laughs> um okay here i'm going to give you a challenge when we're done this evening um go online and look up bullet storm or general serrano s-e-r-r-a-n-o and um <laughs> it's not performance capture it's uh they, you know it's a voiceover and i'm the lead bad guy in in this uh thing and it is i am the foulest mouth character i have ever seen or heard of and i kept telling the, the producer and says, you really want me to say this you want me to say this because i'm going to commit to it and i did and they loved it and they kept having me back and they kept you know doing a little more with it and uh you know and they, I, I had a wonderful time you know we, we did this for several weeks and um i understand that you can go online now and it's a drinking game you know if, if you if you had to drink every time i swear well make sure you don't have to drive you know just yeah. be close <laughs> to the bed <laughs> and, but yeah you'll you'll hear me go off with uh some very colorful phrases if you have any sailor friends i think i can make them blush <laughs> we do know a sailor friend we do actually yeah. <laughs> oh what i'm telling you is i better get an email from you tomorrow or in the next couple of days that you went on and listened to general serrano <laughs> <laughs> oh i uh, can pull it up now <laughs> uh, i i believe you i i, I can't see anything that small <laughs> um but Okay, so anything else? I think my wife's making me dinner. Yeah, uh, basically, I what haven't we talked about? But before you go, I have to ask because it's one of my favorite movies as a kid growing up, Masters of the Universe, uh, where you played Blade. Uh, what 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 was that set like? That was very exciting. Um, I didn't really know that much about Masters of the Universe at the time. Uh, as it happened, Gary Goddard had created the uh, Conan Sword Spectacular at universal studios which i took over um i ran the last three years i got to come in and retrain everybody because ah they had a variety of skills and you know they had some people in who uh well i've i've spent a lifetime you know learning let's say the mysteries of the blade but uh learning to be better at um you know learning to be uh more effective um as a storyteller and also to come from a martial background and also to be able to protect the people i'm working with because they're your partners they're not your enemies um most people have a tendency to uh turn swordplay into pirate bash fest and that's kind of fun but as a steady diet not so much uh one of the quotes when i came in one of the conans who used to wield a huge sword of course because it's it has to be big, I it's guess. Conan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he had, I used to call it Buick Slayer. And he'd hit one of the axemen up the side of the head with it. And his quote was, I knew I was going to hit you, but there wasn't anything I could do about it. Because they'd taught them to spread their legs wide, plant their feet, and swing hard. And I'm going, Yeah, no, that, that doesn't fly. So I retrained everybody to have a common vocabulary that, you know, utilized these structural alignment that, uh, you know, I had. That I've been honing and you know it, uh, it's invisible to everybody to the audience but the performers it helps you control distance and timing and control of the weapon and actually tell a story as opposed to just clang the swords so that uh, that was a bunch of fun uh, so Gary directed uh, 
Masters of the Universe. And I got to create a character that didn't exist in the original, you know, Eternian story. There, there was no back, you know, he was a new character. And um, that was very exciting for me. And apparently Gary liked what I was doing because uh, he, he gave me very little direction. People said, well, do you Gary? And I kind of went, no, he kind of, because I'm figuring, well, I'm going to do this because this feels right. If he doesn't like it, he'll tell me. You know, so he seemed to like most of it. One piece of direction he gave me when I was working with um, Courtney Cox's boyfriend, uh, he went on to be Lieutenant oh, Harris uh, in uh, Peter, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, McNeil, Duncan McNeil. When I get the start as my Yeah, Peter Duncan McNeil. Um, and uh, he said, when we burst in and we put the collar of truth on his neck and, uh, you know, we're interrogating him, Eva Lynn and I, and uh, oh, Meg Foster is the delight too. I love working with Meg. <laughs> uh and and gary said can you put a little scare into him and i said yes uh so normally i wouldn't do this but you know peter knew you know he knew he knew who i was he knew my skill level so i had this gerber knife which was actually sharp you know on on my thing and he's leaning up against the table so when he's there and we're in like this three shot i pull the knife out and i just jam it into the uh you know the sufficiently away because the camera's here camera has no depth yeah. i'm two feet away from his face but it looks like it's right next to his head you know but i didn't tell him i was going to do that like, bam you're like that and you're like <laughs> you know his eyes got big but um and then when we were going to do the uh laser whip you know when uh skeletor punishes you know yeah, you know, he's he's going through a whole lot of things and very much Richard, you know, and uh, Gary said, hey, say I'm I'm not in a giving mood today. That's uh, that's very Richard the third, pretty much a quote. But uh, yeah, Frank was uh, was very, uh, very Shakespearean in his portrayal. Was, I enjoyed watching him work. But the uh, no, sorry, you're taking me down memory lane. So I'm having a flood of things coming back. Yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was a whole lot of fun to do some, uh, oh, when we, we were going to do the laser whip and they said, oh, uh, you know, we're going to, we're just going to put this handle in your hand and then we're going to CGI this, this whip. And I said, well, as it happens, I know a little something about whip. Uh, will you take, a, will you film me using the whip so you'll see what I'm doing with my body and you'll see how the whip behaves. And they did. So at least, you know, this animated laser whip, the uh, special effects are really rather good for a time when special effects were really rather simple. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're a little farther ahead of, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't quite, uh, you know, what, who am I trying to think of? Uh, Buck Rogers or, you know, on the string with the, uh, <laughs> the sparkler in the back of the rocket. But uh, they, they were fairly primitive. But it, you know, they, they did, and the animators, you know, utilized what I had uh, offered them, and I think it became a much more effective scene because of it. That's like, yeah. Roadhouse. One of my favorites, but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Roadhouse. We'll, we'll let you get some dinner and everything, uh, you know, big shout out to Dr. Okay. Mary and everything well, over there. Well, call me back another time and ask me about Roadhouse. Absolutely. Yeah. You knew that was going to be my uh, next question. Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I can tell you about Maj Kula, too. So yeah, uh, yeah, Star we'll, just, Voyager. we'll arrange another time. So, so much more, mm -hmm. but yeah, definitely another time. Thank you so Thank much. You we so really much. appreciate it. <laughs> hey, send, send me some good beer. <laughs> oh, you know what? We'll figure it out. <laughs> you, you, if you guys are, you know, certified, uh, certified judges. Uh, all right. And now go, go, 
go, go, go listen to Bullet Storm. All right. I'm going to pull that. Well, Drop right me now. a note. <laughs> All right, thank you, Mr. Delonges. Yeah. Have a great evening. Um, well, no, go go pour yourself a drink. Oh, All right. And thank you, guys. It's a pleasure right to meet you. <laughs> As they say in uh, Masters of the Universe, good journey. Good journey. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Sorry, I got like super itchy like midway through, so I'm like, ah. <laughs> and then. These yeah, two yeah, assholes. These cats were like trying to jump on the mic and stuff. Oh. I was like trying to disconnect there for a bit. That's what, and then like and then she was eyeballing the TV. That's why I got up because yeah. she was like, oh, oh, "I could just I jump up there." So yeah, that was a uh, Anthony Delongis, uh just tapping into yeah, martial artist, uh, weapons master, um, act, acting in over like hundred and fifty different things, stage acting. Uh, just a just an onion and uh, running that ranch out there in California where he trains others to do it it's wow babe uh, do we need to go to California and take a whip class you know what I'm a... <laughs> maybe is, is that what you want to do for your birthday next year uh, um, uh maybe yeah I, I don't know <laughs> be nice to you know toss an axe from on top of a horse or something right on target and actually be able to hit it instead of i don't know hit myself in the foot hit the horse yeah <laughs> like no Betsy. yeah but yeah uh yeah huge thank you to mr delongis yes, thank you, thank uh guys you. seriously go check out uh delongis.com or anthony delongis.com uh check out the demo reels and stuff he has on there of like some of the amazing stuff he's able to do and uh like i i watched that for about 30 minutes of like all these different demo reels of all the different things and it's just amazing <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you guys check out bullet storm uh yeah we didn't even touch like uh, half of the stuff and it sounded like he was naming everybody in hollywood <laughs> right <laughs> he's like oh yeah jeff and ellen and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> michelle so yeah babe um steve <laughs> Uh, can we find you on social media somewhere uh you can you can find me everywhere at untidy venus that's a goddess who's bad at housekeeping i'm on all the social medias under untidy venus i have my etsy shop where i sell my goods and wares at untidyvenus.etsy.com and i've got my patreon at untidy venus steve where can we find you oh of course you can find us everywhere at on all the major podcatchers and everything i learned from movies or hit us up directly on twitter facebook and patreon at eilf movies that's everything, everything i learned from movies. movies and yes it's delongis d-e-l-o-n-g-i-s.com to go check out those demo reels and everything or uh, hit up anthony or maybe you want to learn how to like you know shoot a gun on top of a horse or sword fighting or i don't know just overall badassery right yeah um reach out to them uh they <laughs> from what, I he mean, said he's got videos and like lesson oh, yeah. lesson dvds and stuff so yeah yeah uh yeah check it out man uh, it, the, legend legend <laughs> oh thank you again so much mr delong just for having like coming on our podcast absolutely uh so yeah i guess until next time i'm steve and i'm izzy and this is Everything I learned from movies. Have a good night, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hold on, Steve. Are you calling me from the job site? You ignorant piece of shit. Shut the fuck up. Answer me a question. These people, have you read us killing innocent civilians? What in the name of sweet Mary Mother of Christmas did you think you were doing out there all this time? You namby-pamby.
Jordan. There's a 15 minute montage on YouTube. <laughs> Bullet storm, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night, everybody.